All right, so before I get started and introduce myself, I want to tell a little bit of a story or paint a little bit of a scene. Um, are any of you familiar with Marshall Pickens? You don't know what Marshall Pickens is, the mental health hospital um, over there in Greenville. I want you to imagine Marshall Pickens and the patients there. Um, it's a Sunday, and so Sundays they do chaplain services. So the chaplain has come. The patients who wanted to participate have gone into a little conference room, a little table. There's maybe 10 chairs. They sit down and do a very topical devotion for the Sunday. The faces are gloomy. The people are hurting. They're there either voluntarily or usually involuntarily because of some order or a run-in with the law or some misfortune that has come upon them. And when the chaplain finishes her message, one of the young men who has been in a mental hospital, this is his third time, asks, can you give me a Bible and a Book of Mormon and any Jehovah's Witnesses pamphlets that you have and a Koran to the chaplain? He asks for it all. What are these people looking for when they are at the end of themselves? That man was looking for any shred of hope, any shred of redemption, any shred of unyielding love that he could possibly find, and he was looking, he was willing to look anywhere to get it. And I just wanted to remind all of us that this is the desperation that often we face as biblical counselors, because not everyone coming to JC Cares has another option. This is their, this is their last line of, I am desperate for hope, I'm desperate for healing, I'm desperate for something, and I'm not even sure what it is. And so I just wanted to set the scene with that. How do I know? How did I know that that is even a scene? I know because I witnessed it. How did I witness it? I did not witness it as a counselor. I witnessed it as a patient. And it wasn't very long ago that I witnessed it. And I was actually a patient at Marshall Pickens um, last August when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder too. I witnessed it firsthand. The Lord gave me that experience, I believe, to tell others who are Christian biblical counselors of the desperation that the mentally ill, the broken, the emotionally distressed, those battling spiritual strongholds, they're facing. It's desperate and it's real and it's painful. Um, and I know from firsthand experience and maybe some of you do as well. They're looking for hope, they're looking for comfort, they're looking for grace, compassion, forgiveness, strength, courage, healing, renewal, and change. And if we don't include Christ in that, that's the message of any self-help book, is how do you get hope? How do you get courage to move on? Oh, you do these five steps. But what makes biblical counseling different is that it's, you need the hope of Christ, you need the comfort of Christ, you need the grace of Christ, you need the strength of Christ, you need the courage of Christ, you need the forgiveness of Christ, you need the redemption of Christ. It's all about the gospel's power to change. And so what is our part as biblical counselors? We are here for one another care. Do you realize there are 59 different one another commands in the New Testament? It can't be done by the, themselves. We are not built to live without biblical community. And so as biblical counselors, we are taking on the call to do those one another's with the people who are coming through the doors. 
Um, I'm not sure if, if you're familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but he was a German pastor who was martyred for um, supposedly conspiring to um, kill Hitler. <laughs> and he was hanged. Um, he was not even tried. He was hanged. Um, and I think he was 34 when he died. But he has written many outstanding books and has uh, just a crazy impact on today's Christian living. Um, but he said, once a man has experienced the mercy of God in his life, he will henceforth aspire only to serve. The proud throne of the judge no longer lures him. He wants to be down below with the lowly and the needy because that is where God found him. And I have to ask, is that you? Did God find you when you were needy and lowly? And I would suspect if you're here wanting to help the needy and the lowly, you may have a taste of what that experience is like. The experience of God lifting you up out of a time of desperation. So the outline for the talk today um, is we're going to review really quickly the heart of biblical counseling. So what's our part? What's the client's part? And the ultimate goal of our counseling. We're going to review ways to equip, develop, and grow as a care coach. Um, a little bit about uh, some pointers on working in the sessions and destroying emotional strongholds, something that Amy and I have been talking about recently, and then just the worksheets and homework and what the goal is of making disciples. So I will now introduce myself. I am Christine. Um, professionally, I am an author and speaker and writer. I have written a book and I'm going to be working on my second one this summer. I um, am a contributing writer for Desiring God. And if you're familiar with who John Piper is, that is his, his main ministry. Um, and so I contribute articles there and just sent in another one on Monday. So hopefully it makes the cut. I'm also a contributor to ThriveMoms.com. Thrive Moms is a very large, a world, basically a global um, mother ministry. Um, they have Bible study curriculum that I've helped write on occasion and videos and all sorts of stuff. It's really great. Um, my personal credentials, I'm a married mother of three, been married for almost 15 years. I have three children. We just relocated from California to South Carolina last summer. And I have been fighting against um, depression for since I was 18. And now I'm 30, almost 35. So however many years that is, it's been a long battle. Um, and the Lord has never left me there. So I get to proclaim that too, is that I love, there's an expression that no matter how far you fall, the, grand of, the hand of grace sinks deeper to catch you. And God's promise is that, yes, we will sink low, but he will always restore us and lift us back up. And I am a testimony to that. So um, the heart of biblical counseling. Uh, obviously, we believe as biblical counselors, I hope that um, together we believe. And I, I also should preface that I am here in humility, hoping that what I say is helpful. I understand that I, there are so many more wise people than me, and I am a little drop in a very large sea of biblical counseling wisdom. So I'm just trying to pass along what I have thought to be helpful in my own journey to try to improve in one another care. So I don't um, suppose to know it all or, or anything like that, but 
Um, the Bible is the sole and sufficient authority is what we believe as biblical counselors, right? So I love this quote, Jim Neuheiser um, is actually a professor now teaching at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, but he was uh, very involved with the IBCD and that's where I met him and he was actually my counselor for a time. But he says that the Bible is a textbook for the soul. It tells us who God is, who we are, why we have problems of the soul, and how in relation, these, uh, in relation to God these can be cured. Um, and the scriptures reinforce that statement. I wrote, uh, so I'm going to start giving you the scriptures, okay? Um, I just want to read them out because we need, to be, we need to be reminded, if not for our counseling efforts, but for our own selves to remember that this is for us too. It's not all about let's try to help other people. We're still sinners too. We're sinner and saint at the same time. When we have struggles, we need to believe these things just as much as the next person. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Second Peter 1.3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us in, um, to his own excellence and glory. And... Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Do we believe these things are true? I certainly hope so. But do our clients, even if we believe these things are true, do our clients believe that there's that much power in the word of God? We need to help to teach them and show them that there is by God's spirit, there is that much power. So we work towards that in partnership with the spirit. Um, helping them to understand that is the work of the spirit ministering by the word through the context of fellowship and discipleship. So that's why we go through these studies together um, and lead discipleship groups and Bible studies because that's how the spirit helps to minister and reveal the glory of Jesus um, through the word and through community. So um, there is obviously hope that there's heart change in Christ is guaranteed. It's promised. And we can give our clients that assurance that God is changing you. If you are in God's word, if you are in biblical community, if you have the spirit of God in you, whether it's a tiny little mustard seed of faith, the spirit will keep it alive and you'll have your doubts and you'll have all the things, but God will change you. He is changing you. It's guaranteed. It's promised. And the scriptures back that up with Ezekiel 36, 26, but also I wrote uh, the other area, 11, 19 through 20, basically say the exact same thing, that God himself puts a new spirit and a new heart within us. But what's the purpose of that new heart and that new spirit? It's not so that we have a better life. It's not that we make more money. It's not that we feel better about ourselves or have higher self-esteem. The scriptures say that he does this to glorify his name, to have his people called by his name to um, walk in his statutes, keep my rules and obey them. 
So that is what heart change is about. But initially that might sound off-putting, like, well, I don't wanna be a rule follower. I wanna change because I wanna approve of myself. That's a struggle that I have, is I want sanctification so I can feel good about my righteousness, right? I mean, maybe I'm just being honest here, but I wanna feel good about my righteousness, and that's pride, and that is discrediting the righteousness of Christ because his righteousness far surpasses mine, and I could never even come close but I want to prove of myself because I want the self-esteem. It's very self-centered. So sometimes it can be like, oh, well, you want to be righteous. That's good. But for what, what motivation? What's the motivating factor? And God says that our outcome here with a new heart and new spirit is though so that he causes people to walk in his statutes, keep my rules, and obey them. And so that is our goal as counselors as well. So we want to help people to live lives that are glorifying God and obeying his commands, not because we're rule followers, but because his promises and his commands help to protect us. They're for our protection, they're for our good. They are not restrictive, they are freedom, but we don't necessarily always see it that way. Um, and so we have to pray for the spirit to help us to understand that. So the goal in our counseling is to give instruction from the Bible so that the counselee can achieve God's goals in his or her life. Okay, it's not necessarily about what it is they want. It's about what does God want for their life? In this broken relationship, what does God want for this? God wants restoration. He wants forgiveness, you know, um, and that's not easy. I'm not trying to be glib and say that's just, you know, overnight happens, but we need to be pursuing God's will and God's desires and not necessarily um, the feelings and emotions of um, the clients. And that sounded not great, but I hope, you, I hope you hear my heart on that. I don't mean that that's not important. I just mean the ultimate goal is in making disciples um, and one another care. And so obviously obedience and fruitfulness are the result of the spirit working to confirm the weight of love packed into the cross. Okay, obedience and fruitfulness are the result, and I lost my place on the paper, <laughs> of the Spirit working to confirm the weight of love packed into the cross. It all has to start with love. It has to start with, number one, an understanding of God's love, and number two, a response to that. A response to God's love means, I love God too. I want to please him. His law tells me how to please him. And yes, I can only do it imperfectly, but I want to try. And I want to pray that he'll change me so that day by day I can be better at it. Um, so there's that mutual love. And not until you have that mutual love for the Father and wanting to please him, can you take those steps in genuine obedience. Not obedience that means I want to prove my righteousness to myself, but it's obedience that I want to please my Father. You know, And from that stems the fruit of the Spirit that Galatians talks about. And so we want to help people to get to that point. It's the prayer for spiritual strength in Ephesians 3, 14, 19. I will read it because it's beautiful. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, for whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being, 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. It's a very long sentence, <laughs> but it's beautiful. And that is our prayer for our clients. Or, and if it's not, it should be. Let's make it because it's a prayer for spiritual strength. And that's what we're trying to help them to grasp. Um, because coming to JC Cares is not going to make your life easy. Coming to Christ and salvation is not going to make your life easy. That's not a promise in the Bible. God will be with you and he will care for you and he will send a helper to you and he will change you and conform you into the image of his song. There are many, many, many promises. A lot of them are not the American promises though. <laughs> so our counseling is to be God-centered and biblically founded, obviously. Um, it's to be hopeful and encouraging, patient and restorative. These things take time and I'm preaching to the choir. Y'all have been meeting with clients for a long time and you know these changes do not happen overnight, but they happen in, I'm assuming, probably most cases. Um, we, like you mentioned, not everyone may respond immediately, but we pray that we've planted seeds and that God will somehow use that in the future. But we're doing our job and showing up and leading the results, um, trusting the results to God. Um, so obviously we want to be Christ-centered, shaped by gospel truths and... Um, how thick are our Bibles? You know, uh, when I say that, we need to be focused on our own spiritual growth and development. When we, how thick are our Bibles is not technically how thick is this Bible, but how thick is the Bible up here that I have to reference when we're having a dialogue or conversation? Am, am I relying on the book and the study that we're doing, or do I have some, some wisdom from the Spirit just by simply a Bible verse, not my own human wisdom, but is a Rolodex of scriptures in my brain that I can cut. I always envision it like a little Rolodex um, so that the spirit can bring out God's word from me in, a, in a, the right time. Um, how thick is your Bible as a counselor? We want to pursue studying the Bible so that we can faithfully administer God's word by the power of spirit in an appropriate time. Um, indicatives first, imperative second. So those sound very theological, but I do think it's important. Basically what it means is we want to lead our clients towards change by reminding them first what God has accomplished, what God has done. Okay, we don't want to throw rules out first. Hey, you know what? You should be forgiving that man who raped you because God forgave you. True statement, not great delivery. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, the law doesn't make people change. The shoulds and shouldn'ts don't make people change. Biblical counseling with the power of the gospel is leading first with, let's look at what it took for God to forgive you and let's go through the scriptures and let's just focus on that. Maybe for a session, maybe for four sessions. Let's talk about the forgiveness of God. Let's talk about you know, the sin of man. Let's talk about what Christ endured in Golgotha. You know, let's talk about Gethsemane when he was dripping sweats of uh, drips, sweating drips of blood um, because he was sorrowful to the point of death. 
about what was about to happen to him. Let's look at Christ first. And then because of that, what does God want us to do in this situation? What is he calling us to do? And so leading first with God's work and then bringing in the invitation to what is our response? Not do this or else, but let's look at God for a little while. You know, let's look at Christ for a little while because there's power in the name of Jesus, right? Let's look at him and then let's examine ourselves in light of that. When Paul in the New Testament, well, obviously it's the New Testament, um, when Paul writes um, to the churches in his various letters, you'll see that the pattern is typically he will exhort them about something that Christ has done and then say, therefore, in light of that, do this. And so I'm simply saying that that is a similar pattern that we ought to follow because it's scriptural and it's how Paul ministered to the church. Not just Paul, but there are indicatives and imperatives all over the, the Bible. But um, so obviously as biblical counselors, we want to open the door for the spirit to work on our client's heart. Um, we do not fix people, right? We're not people fixers. And it's important, especially if we kind of get in a rut, that we check our motives and make sure Am I, as a counselor, being fulfilled because I feel like I can solve every one of these problems this person is having? I have a resource for every need. I have a verse for every, you know, problem. I've got, a, you know, this, what are our motives? You know, is it, is, are we self-serving or trying to feel good in our service? Or are we really trying to help to point them and grow a disciple who is maturing in their faith and their ability to seek God on their own, to read the word of God on their own, <laughs> to turn to God for comfort on their own? Because we're not people's crutches. God doesn't call us to be crutches. Now we do one another care, but is it healthy for someone two years down the relationship to still not be able to feed themselves spiritually? We're not doing our jobs as counselors and as making disciples if we're just taking on babies, we want to have people be spiritually mature and not just crave milk, but the food of God's word um, and be able to do that on their own, um, not only on their own, but on their own. Um, so we accept that life is often very difficult and we're aiming to equip the saints to persevere through times of duress. Um, we do not offer directions on medications. Obviously, that is not our sphere, um, not something we should be meddling with. We encourage clients to look after their physical well-being. Of course, we don't either neglect the physical. Uh, it's important and it's a factor. And so, um, you know, that's important as well. We desire to coach the clients towards an intimate fellowship with Christ. Um, we don't counsel the label. We counsel the person with a weakness and seek to nail down the struggles of the heart. That is very important to me personally. I really don't like labels and I probably buck against it because of the labels that the medical community has given me recently. But the point remains is that when someone comes in and they say, I'm bipolar, it's like, you're not bipolar. You have been diagnosed with bipolar, which means you have particular propensities to certain weaknesses and struggles. But that's not who you are. If you're a Christian, you're a child of God. You've been made new. Now that doesn't mean that takes your bipolar away, but it means that you have the power to learn how to cope with these weaknesses in a God-honoring way over time.
okay? It's not overnight. <laughs> I still get depressed. I still get hypomanic. But God is faithful to help me to realize that it's not an excuse for sin. And it's not. Now, don't tell me that right in the moment because I'm already feeling a lot of conviction on my, you know, the spirit ministers to me pretty strongly and lets me know that I'm getting out of hand. And I appreciate that usually. Um, <laughs> I do appreciate it, but it's that flesh versus spirit struggle where you're like, I want to be different and I don't know how. I'm not sure if any of you have ever experienced that type of desperation where you know you're, I'm, then that's not professional. Um, when you know you're not being very nice and you don't want to be that way, but you've just got this disposition and you're like, I am stuck. You know, um, it's hard. But that's what I mean when I say we don't want to counsel the label. Don't just presume because somebody comes in and says, this is what I've been diagnosed with. Okay, well, that's it. We'll, we'll put that, you know, on the board, but let's talk. What are you struggling with today? What is, you know, like when, when you had that depressed episode, how did that feel? Can you describe it? If you can't describe it, let's go to Psalm 88 and let's read Psalm 88, which is the unresolved Psalm. And it's very dark. There's no hope in that, that Psalm. You can write it down and, um, and look at it. Is it 88 or 77? It's 88. I'm pretty sure. Um, but the Bible gives us language, even in those times when we're so depressed and we can't put it into words. The Psalms are rich and full of language, um, poetry, you know, being in the mire and being stuck in a fog and a barren waste place and all these things. It's very, very beautiful. But um, anyway, that's a long story to make a very small point is that we want to seek down the struggles of the heart. And so let's do our own investigating and figure out um, what's going on inside this person and not just what does the label represent and let's talk about, okay, you're bipolar, so let's talk about depression. Well, maybe that is not a, a big deal for them right now. Maybe they're not feeling depressed and they're dealing, maybe they're feeling agitated because they're on the other side of things. Well, let's deal with that agitation. What is making, what is tempting you to be angry? Because the anger isn't, the thing happening to you isn't making you angry. It's your response. You're responding in anger. You're being tempted to anger. But anger, as Jesus said, it comes out from the heart. There's a heart issue going on. And so what? let's talk about that. Let's explore. So we want to counsel the person and not the label. And change begins when we understand and apply the gospel. We need to understand and apply. Not just the understand part, because plenty of people know God's word. Satan knows God's word, right? He knows it real well. Understand and apply. Change begins when we understand and apply the gospel. It's our job to pray as biblical counselors that the spirit would illumine and instigate. So same, same concept. Illumine the scriptures, illumine God's word, illumine Christ's work, what that means, what the future holds for us, the change that it brings and promises, um, the, the fellowship and intimacy with God that we get because of that, the inheritance that's coming to us. We don't have to live our best life now. It's not you only live once. There's no YOLO in the Bible. It's you live for eternity. The only question is where? You know what I mean? And so um, we want to illumine that to as best that we can. We're inviting the spirit to illumine that with our clients and then instigate, to instigate the change. The spirit needs to instigate the change for the client and for our own hearts. 
So that was the kind of the highlight, just reminders and pep, you know, yay, biblical counseling, the cheerleading part. Um, yay. I know, right? Go team. I love it. Um, so what, excited about what our mission is. Um, yeah, it's, this is great stuff. I love talking about it, but so ways to equip, develop and grow as a care coach. So why I totally forgot to mention why on earth am I even the one talking about this? Not even the one, but Amy invited me because I did start the process of pursuing biblical counseling certification in California before I moved. And I'm continuing that course and hope by the end of next year, I will have the official certification from biblicalcounseling.com. It's actually ACBC, um, the American Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. Sorry, that's what it is. Um, very well respected. I think the largest biblical counseling organization in the country. It's astonishing. Um, and so I hope to be, a, but it's a long process as a mother of three <laughs> and no time. So it takes me a little bit longer, but we'll get there. I'm not letting go of that goal. So obviously number one way to grow and develop as a care coach is to grow and develop personally your relationship with the Lord and in the scriptures and doing personal Bible studies, personal daily devotions, just anything at all, making sure that you are not found disqualified, you know, it's, as Paul would say, you know, but we at least want to be pursuing that, um, you know, a healthy spiritual life, uh, healthy um, discipline, uh, oh, why am I tongue-tied? Um, discipline, spiritual disciplines, such as memorizing scripture and studying and attending church and being in fellowship, all that fun stuff. Um, the websites that I have up here are my favorite ones. Well, with the exception of this one, I'm going to talk about that in a second. Not that that's not my favorite, but I'm excited about it. Um, IBCD.org. So any of these websites, with the exception of this one, um, you can find articles by category. So if you are working with a client on a specific topic and you're, you know, you're going through the um, the study, but, and the study is wonderful, but I, I kind of feel like the study is a great for a discipleship tool, but for very specific immediate needs, you may need to do some investigation on your own and come up with maybe a homework assignment specific to the struggle that they're dealing with right now. Uh, and the spirit will convict you or move in you in such a way as to, you know, nudge you to do that. Um, but so you can look up articles, also audios. They do lots of um, different events, uh, ACBC and CCEF and IBCD. <laughs> um, lots of letters. Um, they all have a tremendous free library of resources. We're talking audio recordings, blog articles from today's leading biblical counseling experts. So you're, you're, it's from the best, it's the best, best, cream of the crop, um, obviously extremely sound theology and um, Christ honoring, you know, so it's, it's legit. I would not pass this stuff off to you if, if there was any question of its legitimacy. Um, and I personally have benefited from the ministries that I'm sharing with you today. Um, IBCD, I am, I have this binder here. They have a care and discipleship um, program. And this is the book for level uh, one. There's level two that I'm just getting started on. And so they offer certifications as um, you can take it just by itself and just take their um, care and discipleship course and get a little, they've a really nice certificate. Or you can use it as a part of the um, prerequisites for the ACBC certification. So I'm using it for 
down the road. Um, but it's a wonderful resource and very uh, reasonably priced. But even if you don't want to take the actual course, all the audios are available on podcast or on their website for free. And you can and you can search it by um, you can search by speaker name. So if there's somebody like a speaker that you know, you can check and see if they've spoken at any events. Uh, you can search by topic. It's wonderful. I mean, we're talking like maybe maybe hundreds of audios from the past um, events. So definitely check it out. Uh, most of the audios are available on the website to stream or also on podcasts. Um, so you can use your phone to listen to audios and. Um, I listen when I'm doing laundry. Sometimes when I take the kids to the park and they're playing, I just, I've got one earbud in and the other so I can hear if someone's like dying, you know, <laughs> if there's an emergency, but I'm listening and I just try to redeem, you know, the time when there's not much going on or I'm having to do mom duties. And it's like, well, I'd also like to learn a little bit while I'm folding laundry or something or driving in the car is great. Um, some of them have YouTube channels where they have actually made recordings of their events available. So instead of paying $400 to attend, you can, you know, a couple years later, watch the video. It's still good. It still works. So even though you didn't see it live, it's still beneficial. Um, some of them, like I said, on, uh, offer online courses, training and workshops. Also curriculum and study materials are available. You can spend hours just going through these websites and you will be floored at the amount of resources that are available for free. It's mind-blowing. Um, I really hope that after this session you, you go check it out for yourself. One more little large section is I want to talk about handling the sessions. So um, just some encouragements for the actual sessions and this is where I bring in the Destroying Emotional Strongholds worksheet that you have in your packet and I'll go to it in just a minute. But obviously in our session with the counselee we want to be sensitive to tells. Okay, so what words are they saying? What suggestions or things that would indicate um, a fear or a worry or a concern or a, gr a grief even that has gone unaddressed or unministered to biblically? Um, for our client, uh, there were a couple of sessions where the grief continued to come up in conversations about loss of her, her fa different family members and how she was struggling with that. But up to that point, it wasn't necessarily something that we were talking about in terms of what, does, what kind of, how can we help her through that with the scriptures. And so by listening and being sensitive to, she didn't say, I'd like help coping with my grief. But it was just something that was coming out repeatedly in the conversation. And as counselors, we need to be sensitive to that. We're actively listening. And so we're picking up on those signals and saying, you know, I've heard you um, talk a few different times about your mom passing away and you know that must have been really really hard and can you share about that time and start trying to unpack maybe some of those things maybe it's the first time they've ever even shared that story maybe it's the first time somebody ever even asked you know but we need to again we're trying to get to the heart we're not just trying to have chit chat about surface level things we want to get to the heart because that's where God's word works it works at the heart I just shared today a Bible verse, and I hope I can remember it. Jeremiah 23, 26. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? That's his word. And I read a commentary that said the fire is a fire um, that melts. It melts us so that God can take us out and then start hammering and shaping us. And I just love that. But he says, is not my word like a fire? You know, he's like, hello, people. 
I am going to mold you into something by my word. You know, it's, it's, we are made well by the word. It's a writing series I'm doing on my blog. And I just love it because I really, it's true. And that's what biblical counseling is about. We're made spiritually well by the word. It may not be physical wellness because that's not promised. <laughs> not in this lifetime anyways, but um, we're made well by the word. And so we need to be sensitive to what they're saying. Um, maybe they're not saying I need help with it, but maybe we can pick up that they do. Is there an undercurrent of sin? Is now the time to address it? And we need to pray for wisdom because the thing is with biblical counseling is that we are comforters and we are also challengers because we're tending to souls and we're tending to hearts. And so there's a time for comfort and there is a time for challenge. That's part of the one another's is to rebuke one another. Obviously, we handle that with grace and compassion and patience. You know what I mean? Um, we don't finger wag and yell and scream and hit people. <laughs> we don't rebuke with, you know, unrighteous anger. Like that's, you don't sin to correct sin. That's not how that works. But it's, it's something that we need to um, be discerning about and pray for the discernment because there's time. There's, if someone's crying and they're hurting and they're broken, is now the time to confront? It's not. Uh, let me read you a quote that blends um, Charles Spurgeon with the author. I have a book. Um, I'll show it to you. Uh, Zach Eswine is the author. The book is called Spurgeon's Sorrows, Hope, A Realistic Hope for Those Struggling with Depression. And um, Zach is a pastor and he speaks frequently on this topic and he has several other books as well. Um, but uh, it reads, it is a fact that strong-minded people are very apt to be hard on us nervous folk and to speak harshly to people who are very depressed in spirit, saying you really ought to rouse yourself out of that state. The result is that a strong person says to a poor suffering person, stuff and nonsense, try to exert yourself. But when he does this, he says one of the most cruel things that could be said to the sufferer. By trying to help, he only inflicts additional pain. And so, we have to be discerning when is the time for comfort, when is the time for challenge. It's a very, very tender thing. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, Proverbs 25:20, which I've written right there, talks about singing songs to people who are suffering is like taking a garment off on a cold day or mixing vinegar on soda. And that analogy may not make very much sense, but um, vinegar is acidic and soda in biblical reference is alkaline. And so mixing the two together accomplishes nothing and destroys both. The both of them are no longer useful for what their original purpose was. So the point of that Proverbs is that if you see someone sad and they're struggling and you say, you know what? God works all things according um, to, for good according to, oh, I'm totally butchering it. God works all things according all things for good according, yeah, you guys know, you guys see, you, you've studied and I'm just like, I've got too many on my Rolodex going right now. Is that the most helpful thing that we can say to someone who's hurting? It's true, but not all things are helpful in the moment. That's not, I'm not saying that's not true. I'm saying we need to be discerning about the best way to administer our comfort because we can either be cruel in our ability to try to get people to snap out of it because we're impatient and we can be cruel 
because we're trying to throw platitudes and try to fix them instantly by just cheer up. You know, it's, it's, it goes both ways. And so when someone encounters adversity, they are meant to reflect and to meditate and we with them. And Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 4.17 talks about that. Um, I have it here. Let me pull it. I marked it wrong. And I don't have it here. Never mind. Oh, I do have it here. When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made well, has made one as well as the other. So that verse talking about is in either times bad or happy is that you reflect and you meditate and you consider God's made both. What is he trying to do in me? What is he doing in this situation? Maybe I don't know. And I'm just being called to trust and wait. And that is often the status of us as believers. Trust and wait and God will tell you in your time. But when the time to fight is upon us, we equip them for battle because much of faith and growing in our faith is a battle. And we need to be compassionate, but we need to be ready to fight. So we're, we're armed in both, in both ways. Um, I love 2 Corinthians 11.4. It says, Paul is saying, For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit than the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. And I tell you, the, the time I read that word, or that phrase when Paul says, you put up with this easily enough, killed me. Because what Paul is talking about is false teaching. False teaching, he's actually referring to actual false teachers in the church at that time. But what's going on in our heart when we're dealing with emotional strongholds or spiritual strongholds is we're believing a false teaching. We're believing in a different Christ than the one that was preached to us when we originally accepted him. We're not trusting in the gospel. We're trusting in some different gospel. It's the gospel of if I had a million dollars, my life would be better. I would have it easy. I would have all the things I wanted. It's just the point is, is that we can very easily be trying to put our beliefs into different things that are not going to deliver. Um, not going to deliver the happiness, the satisfaction, the fulfillment that we're hoping for. And whatever that may look like to someone, um, it's going to let us down. Because if we actually do get it, then we're going to want something else. It's always this continuing thing. Oftentimes we'll use the term, I struggle with something, you know, so especially in the emotional realm, I struggle with anger, I struggle with depression, I struggle with anxiety, I struggle with fear, I, you know, bitterness, unforgiveness, whatever it is, insert your struggle and put it, it's there. But the thing is, there's a difference between struggle and fighting. And if you look up the definitions, the definition of a struggle is that you are, you know, you're wrestling and you're bound and you're trying to break free from something. But the fighting is a totally different definition. And the scriptures talk about how our fight as Christians and for our faith, the spiritual warfare is a fight. It is a bloody battlefield. It is violent. It is fierce. And it's happening all the time. And so fighting is, um, the definition of fighting is that you're free to exchange blows with an opponent. And so we want to help our clients understand that Christ has not kept you bound. You don't have to struggle. You're probably going to fight against this, maybe some of these things for your life. For me, for depression, because I have been up and down for 20 plus years, um, I still hope that it'll stop one day. But if it doesn't, I'm still going to fight as hard against it as I possibly, possibly can. With every ounce that God allows me to fight, I'm going to fight. And when, I, and when he doesn't, allow me to, then I wait, <laughs> wait through it. Um, 
But Christ has not left us bound. He has not left. If our clients are saved by God's grace and have the Holy Spirit, they are not bound to struggle. They are free to fight. It doesn't mean they won't have backslidings or temptations or, you know, they, they need to fight. They need to be active with their faith. And so um, it's the difference between a bullet and ammunition. Do you, who, are there any gun aficionados in I'm not one, but I just learned this fact, and so I figured there's a difference. Bullets and ammunition are not the same. Ammunition is an actual a casing where there's a bullet at the tip, but then you have the shell and you have the propellant and the powder and the, all the mechanisms of the projectile that actually ends up getting shot out the gun. But the bullet itself is just a lifeless piece of metal. And so you can't do too much damage with the bullet. You can do a lot of damage with the ammunition. And it's very similar to the difference between struggling and fighting. Is if we're struggling, we're bound. We're just like these little, I'm just throwing a bullet. I'm not really doing much damage to anything. I'm not, you know, attacking Satan or with, you know, the stronghold and all this stuff. But um, the ammunition we have is the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we no longer are walking around with bullets in our pockets. We've got ammo to fight. We have been empowered and equipped to fight. And that's exciting. And it induces hope. And, um, and it's just if our clients are struggling to believe that they can experience change, and we want to help get them excited and help to show God's word um, that it's possible. And actually, if you're a child of God, it's promised, not just possible. There was a illustration. I actually took a gun class, like a how to use a gun class. My husband made me go. I didn't want to go, but he wanted me to go. And the guy was talking about um, when you, you know, self-defense. And you know, a lot of our faith is about preparing ourselves for a defense of all types of, you know, spiritual warfare or um, temptations to sin or all kinds of things. But the demonstration or the illustration was when you are attacked by an opponent and you don't, you didn't expect it, you're going to fight the way that you have trained, which means if you have trained to have the proper stance and the reflexes and you have practiced over and over and over again to where it's a reflex, you're gonna fight that way. But if you haven't trained that way, you're not gonna have that reflex. And nobody ever trains the way they fight. And that's what the switch was, is when you're training, you can't replicate those exact conditions. You know what I mean? So you can't know that somebody's going to come from your car or anything like that. And so you don't necessarily get proper training thinking in advance that this is how it's going to look. And so that we, we fight the way that we train. We don't train the way that we fight. Um, and then we, Colosh, or Corinthians talks about how do we destroy these emotional strongholds. And this is just the reminder that we're not waging war according to the flesh. Um, for the weapons of our warfare, warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought cap, um, captive to obey Christ. The knowledge of God. And where does the knowledge of God come from but God's word? It's God's word revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. And so that is our weapon. Um, it's not a weapon of the flesh and it's not inactive I remember all those verses. It's not just, oh, well, the, you know, a scripture verse is, and you're mended. But at the same time, there's power if we take the time to be in fellowship together and to really study the scriptures and, and to pray the scriptures. 
Um, so just to remember that change begins when we understand and apply the gospel. The understanding part and the applying, and as biblical counselors, we're helping our clients with both. Hopefully, so much so that they can begin to do that on their own, and the Spirit will begin to apply the scriptures through their quiet time that nobody's even a part of. And God does that to all of us when we're in our quiet time and we're reading a verse and we're like, I didn't even know that was for me. And boom, it's jumping off the page. And it's like, you can't even ignore that that's for me right now. They have those experiences too. It doesn't always have to be us illumining the scriptures, but you know, helping them to be able to be competent enough to where they feel like they can have that too. It's not just for special people. <laughs> you know, it's not just for people who maybe have memorized 10 verses. They can do it too. And we want to encourage them in that. Um, so the last part is just the packet that I've given to you. Um, a few pages in, I actually created a, workshop, a worksheet for the Destroying Emotional Stronghold. It's called Operation Stronghold. It's right back there. I created this for a, a conference that I spoke at. So um, that's why I included it, because it goes with what I was talking about. And I love the scripture at the top for Jeremiah. It says, they will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. And so I just love that because um, it, it's so applicable to, to um, many of the, the strongholds that we struggle with. But really quickly, the first step, um, you know, so we talk about, okay, I want to tackle these strongholds or whatever. I want to fight and you get all excited. And then you're like, now what? What do I do? How does that actually play out? That's what this worksheet is designed to help with. And you can work through it together if you so choose. Um, but we want to um, stronghold target name. So we want to identify the opposition specifically. So obviously this is very branded for like a fighting, you know, army type, the opposition, um, the wording is anyways. And so what does that mean of identifying the opposition? So what is the stronghold? The stronghold is anger. I blew up at my kids again, you know, or I lashed out at my boss or whatever it is. It's anger. It's bitterness. It's unforgiveness. It's some sort of biblical label to a sin. Um, and it is important that it is the biblical label. So not just uh, an, uh, um, an example would be, I, my stronghold is frustration. Well, I get what you're saying, but let's, what would the Bible call frustration? Because you want to let God's word speak to that. And frustration, I'm fairly certain, is not in there. <laughs> fairly certain. I don't remember reading about frustration. Maybe the concept, impatience, um, haste. I don't know. But anyways, I think at the underneath frustration is really anger is um, the root of that. So trying to get to what the root is of that particular stronghold, getting it a biblical label so that you can find verses that specifically talk about that particular struggle. And then Satan's battle tactics. What does he want you to believe about the target? So if the struggle is bitterness, there was actually one time I did this worksheet for my own personal well-being. And um, I, my stronghold was bitterness. And I put, um, it was because my husband went away on a golf trip and I had to be by myself with the three kids for a week. And I was bitter that he was having fun and I was having not fun. <laughs> so I was trying to, I was trying to work through it, you know, and not blame him. And so Satan's battle tactics in that moment was Satan wanted me um, and my own pride wanted me to think that um, it was his fault that I was having such, it was Brett's fault that I'm having such a hard time with these kids and, and he's having fun and I'm not, and that's not fair. And it's Brett's fault. 
well, it's not true. Brett didn't leave thinking that I was going to have a bad time, you know? So, but that's just what you want to believe in the moment. And so new creation implications, that basically is, what does your relationship with God mean for this target? So for my particular circumstance, my relationship with God for this situation meant that I knew that I could trust God, that God had ordained these frustrations and for to tempt, he didn't ordain my temptation. He is sovereign over the situation. Everything's going to be okay. God sent bread off to a trip. It wasn't anything against me. And I just need to, um, you know, pray for wisdom and peace and strength to try to get through it. Um, scripture coordinates, locate one Bible verse that focuses on the target and the heart issue behind it. And so I remember putting a verse from James that talks about um, selfish ambitions and I was really upset because I didn't have time to do the writing that I wanted to do. And so I had this selfish ambition was underneath this anger and bitterness to my husband because I couldn't get on the computer because I had to take care of the kids and I really wanted to write. So I found that scripture in James and really checked my heart <laughs> to see, okay, this is really why I'm so upset. And it's my, it's my own sin. It's not anyone else's fault. So the pre-planned escape route, how, um, when you face this stronghold today, what truth about God's character will be your battle, battle cry? So just trying to get equipped with, you know, okay, so I'm going to go back to the kids. I'm, I'm going to try not to be um, bitter. I'm going to remember that, you know, this is what God has called me to. God has not given me the opportunity to write. I'll have it next week. You know, and so just kind of surrendering what my will is and I want for the situation and just to know that I'm serving my husband, he's having a good time, and I can just put my mind on the kids and not worry about what it is that I want right now. I'm dying to myself in this instance, and, and that is often required. And I think, I think it's important, too, when we talk about strongholds is not to put, we, um, so obviously we do have opposition and spiritual warfare going on, but a lot of our fight is against ourself. A lot of our fight is against our flesh nature, you know, so it's not always the stuff coming, you know, at us. It's how can I fight my own selfishness? How can I fight against my own pride? How can I fight to lay down my will at this moment? You know, so yes, this equips us for fighting against, you know, an enemy, but sometimes I'm my own worst enemy, you know, and so we need those, I need to preach God's word to slap that enemy down a little bit in there, you know, um, and that's the flesh and the spirit warring within us, which, um, you know, we'll go on until we go home and then we'll be free from that. So, um, the other worksheets that I have are just a small sampling. They're not mine. They're resources, a small sampling of what is available for free at ibcd.org. I give all praise and credit to that organization. So there are sample homework assignments. Um, I love the overcoming anger by grace. I actually did a very small video for Thrive Moms, a five minute kind of synopsis of this, but it is a step-by-step -step with scripture references. If your client struggles with anger or if you struggle with anger, because I know I do, um, this has been a very big blessing to me. And so uh, identifying what is going on in the heart when we're angry. I, I want something too much. I'm trying to be judged or I'm trying to play God. Um, I need to remember God has been very gracious to me. God is in control and remember who I am in Christ. I'm going over this. You want to know what's great? If you want to learn more about this, go to their website and go listen to all their audios on anger. And one of them explains this worksheet very, very well. But it's super great. And you can see it's uh, 
It's meant to have, they're in cards, so you cut one, you know, there's one paper, it cuts into four cards. Um, but there's, you know, this worksheet, the anger hot button list. So trying to, you know, pinpoint what are some of the things that tempt um, your client uh, to be angry. And so that way you can kind of narrow down. Okay, so these are the things that really get you all bound up. So what, let's figure out in the scriptures how we can address some of those things. So that is a very helpful tool. Um, you know, giving hope, a counselor's checklist. So just kind of, a, you know, pre-appointment checklist. Um, I love this one too. I, I just seem to print out all the anger ones, but the anger journal versus the heart journal. So this um, is a one paper journal page uh, where if your client does struggle with anger, angry responses to situations, you have them fill out this page sometime at some point during the week and they actually sit down after the thing has happened and they reflect on um, what circumstances led to my becoming angry. What did I say or do? Um, what, was, uh, what is the biblical evaluation of what I said when I became angry? Um, what should I have done when I became angry? And then that goes to the heart. And so it asks questions that are specific to what was going on in your heart at that time. And that's what we really want to do. So I won't keep going into all the worksheets because I know we're all getting antsy to go, but um, they're there. It's, there are more. Please do yourself a favor. Oh my gosh, I didn't talk about that one real fast. Does, is anyone familiar with Jay Adams? Okay. Jay Adams is pretty much, are you familiar with The Godfather, the movie? Okay. He's pretty much the godfather of biblical counseling. He started the biblical counseling movement, I think like 50 years ago. I know why God moved me to South Carolina now is because, because for many reasons, but that's in, his organization is in Simpsonville. He has an institute for neuthetic counseling in Simpsonville. He has 12 different Biblical counseling courses, they range from, I think, $85 to $195 per course. Um, but that's over the grand spectrum. It's cheaper than going to seminary or some, somewhere else. But um, And you don't have to take all of them. You could just pick one and take whatever you want. But he, that's learning from the man. <laughs> I'm not trying to put him on a... Yes, it is all online. Yes, you don't you don't go to the specific location. It just so happens that they operate out of Simpsonville. I just learned this last night, and it took me about five minutes. I was so excited. It took me five minutes to tell my husband what was going on, because I, I couldn't like get it out. And I know that sounds really nerdy, but I mean, I had no I had no idea. I had no idea. I was on the ACBC website and I was looking for counseling training centers and there was a little star in South Carolina. I'm like, oh, that looks like it's in the upstate. And then I clicked on it. I said, oh, it is. It's in Simpsonville. And then when I landed on the page, it was Jay Adams. And I thought, oh, oh my goodness. That's so amazing. Yeah, I know. We all need to start saving for scholarships or something. I don't know.